Well, good morning. God is good and all the time. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is uh, John and I am blessed to be the pastor here. And uh, so those of you who are guests, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us uh, today. As Stefan mentioned, I have been in uh, Kenya for the last couple of weeks and, and uh, I am uh, glad to be back. Uh, the, the truth is, uh, where I was in church last week is a lot different than this place, and so it was very interesting, and I enjoyed my time uh, in Kenya, and I want to say thank you for letting me go on, on kind of representing you as a church, and God uh, has allowed us to be a part of a lot of ministry in Kenya. My first trip, uh, our first time we took a group here from Hallmark was in 2009, and so we've seen God do a lot of things in Kenya, so I want to thank you for your faithfulness in supporting uh, the missions program here at Hallmark. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to get there in a minute, but I'll get you, let you get time to find your way to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we've been walking through this series. I appreciate uh, last week Chris Kirkendall, the week before that was Pastor Dave, and speaking on the subject of hope, hope in the new year. We got the definition of hope that we're kind of this working definition um, really from Pastor Dave, and uh, Dave is the king of acronyms, and so he came up with one for hope, uh, and that is a healthy optimism from a promised eternity. And so 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about if Christ had not risen again, we wouldn't have hope. If our hope was in uh, a Savior who was still dead, what Paul said, we would be miserable. And I'm thankful Jesus is alive. Aren't you thankful for that? So we have a healthy optimism from a promised eternity because we as followers of Jesus, we are going to spend eternity in the presence of our Savior. Are, are you looking forward to that? Amen. I, I hope you'll kind of interact with me today, all right? So I am, uh, as, as the term is, I am jet lagging really bad right now. So if you'll help me by talking back, maybe I won't fall asleep uh, standing here uh, today. And so, as I said, we've talked about the idea of hope, and 2020, um, it kind of uh, challenged us in our hope, didn't it? In a lot of different ways, and 2021 is kind of the same thing, and so I think how uh, important for us to talk about how we can live with hope. And so when I think about that today, what we're going to do the next two weeks is we're going to kind of walk you through um, our membership class. And so every person that becomes a member of Hallmark in the last couple years has gone through the membership class. Uh, at the end of the membership class, they give their story and how they found Jesus, and then they sign a membership covenant. They are covenanting to be a part of this faith community, and this is what they're coveting to do. And so many of you have been church, uh, this church a long time, and you don't even know what that covenant says because, you know, we didn't go retroactive and make everyone who's been a member for 50 years sign the covenant. But next week, we're going to make those available for you because I think it'd be good for you to look at it and see what uh, membership, what we're asking of our, our, of our new uh, members here at Hallmark. And so what I want to walk you through this morning for the first part of the message, and then we'll get uh, really into Colossians and talk about the application of it, but is kind of the mission and the vision and then the process of Hallmark of what we're wanting to do. If you remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Dave preached, he talked about the universal church and the local church, and he put up on the screen kind of the definitions of those or how those look. And so just kind of going off of what he had already uh, taught about was the universal church is anyone who's a follower of Jesus. And so as I was in Kenya, although they're not members of Hallmark Baptist Church, they're a part of the body of Christ if they're a follower of Jesus, the universal 
church. What is the mission of the church? And it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to understand because in Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things Jesus said as he ascended into heaven was to go make disciples of all nations. That's the mission of the church. Similar in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the mission of the church, followers of Jesus. So again, when we think about the mission of the church, it's not just the mission of Hallmark. It's the mission of followers of Jesus. The mission is simple, make disciples. Okay, so we're to, we as followers of Jesus, you as an individual, that should be your mission in life as a follower of Christ, that you're going to make disciples. All right, so now as we move into more of our local faith community context, let's, let's see how this vision, how can we have a vision to fulfill the mission? Okay, and so we've kind of used this in one phrase. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. You should be at this point, is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. The mission, make disciples. The vision, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And if you think about these words, the two words in particular, find and follow, okay, when we, uh, what does it mean to lead people to find Jesus? So maybe the church word you might be familiar with is evangelism, okay? That means that we're going to publicly proclaim the gospel, or we're going to privately have conversations to share the gospel, the good news, simply that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, Scripture says you shall be, what is it? Saved, all right? That's the message. That's the message of evangelism. We're, we're going to proclaim that here from the stage publicly, but the truth is you also privately should be sharing that. So leading people to find Jesus, that word would then speak to evangelism. The second one, leading people to follow Jesus, if, again, you're familiar with church words, would be the word disciple or discipleship. That we're going to lead people to know and follow Jesus. And that means um, kind of the theological word is sanctification. Sanctification is this understanding that I'm in process. I'm a work in project, in process. Like, if you haven't figured it out, nobody in this room has figured it out, all right? We're all kind of broken people. Can you say yes to that? We all have messy lives. We all mess up. We're all not, no one is perfect. Now, I can look around the room, and some of you might be fairly close, and I know that's what you think of me, I'm sure, but we're all, wow, that was a really loud laugh. I'm looking over here at the rest. We're all in process, and that process, the theological term of that process of becoming more like Christ is the process of sanctification. So I want to be a better follower of Jesus today than I was yesterday. Tomorrow, I want to be a better follower of Jesus than I am today. And the only way for me to do that is to learn more about Jesus. The, the more I know about Jesus, the more I become like Jesus. And so as individuals, a mission is make disciples. The vision is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. It's evangelism. It's discipleship. Uh, Robbie Gowdy mentioned this, or kind of gives us the imagery of evangelism and discipleship of you being in a boat and you are rowing the boat right you start singing the song but in the oar of this boat one side of the oar is evangelism the other side is discipleship and that if we kind of only do one or the other what are we going to do we're just going to go in circles and we're not going to make progress and so we want to lead people not only to find jesus evangelism but follow jesus through discipleship now, as we think of kind of the next layer, the process of that, you can maybe think in 
in concentric circles, all right? You've heard the words crowd, community, and core. We want to move people from the crowd to become a part of the community, to be uh, serve in the core. Now, so let me kind of just define those real quickly, all right? A crowd would be uh, really anyone who's not a member of Hallmark. Um, and so in the crowd, we think of people who don't know Jesus. Have you looked around our community recently? There are hundreds and thousands of homes being built. Have you, have you noticed that? And new restaurants, new everything. Um, there's a lot of people in our community that need Jesus. And what are we going to do about it? We want to move people from the crowd, those who don't know Jesus. The crowd then also would include maybe some of you this morning or, or in the crowd that you are a follower of Jesus, but you're not really connected to a church home. You don't have a church that you call your home, your faith community, that you have a membership. And so uh, we want to move people from the crowd into that next circle, which is community. Now here at Hallmark, we think one of the best ways for you to be in community is to be in a connect group. Because we think that as you get in a smaller group, you open up your Bible, you study, have discussion, and you do life together, that you become more like Christ. And Proverbs, it says that iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens another man. That we want to encourage one another. And we think that's for you, in, in our context, in this local church, is we want to encourage you to be involved in a connect group. That's why during the middle of COVID, we first started coming back, and, and we decided we were going to go to two services. To you know, re, uh, Initially, we weren't supposed to have over like 25% capacity or whatever that was, and we have the pews sectioned off 915 and 1030. And as we began to pray about that and started thinking through that, we started realizing, you know, this would be a good thing moving forward to have two services. Not because we need the space. We, we have plenty of space. So why did we continue to have two services? And the reason is we were running out of space in our connect groups. Our connect groups were too full, especially considering now that we need to social distance. And we didn't have any more rooms available. And so now that we have connect groups both at 915 and at 1030 and worship at both, we doubled our space. What does that mean? That means we double the opportunity for people to be involved in community. Okay? And so we want people to move from the crowd, the community, to become the core. And the core means that we want you to serve. We want you to be involved. We don't want to just sit as, you know, I used to hear old preachers say, don't just sit and sour, that you want to sit and serve. Okay? We want you to be involved. And so that's kind of, the, as we think about the mission, make disciples, the vision, leading people to find and follow Jesus and in the process of moving people from the crowd into community to become the core. And so I want you to think about those. When you think of those circles, wh- which circle are you in? Are you still in the crowd? And what steps do you need to take to get into community? If you're in the community but you haven't really started serving, what steps do you need to take to get in to become the core and to begin to serve? Now, when I think about a follower of Jesus who probably was the greatest outside of Jesus, the greatest disciple maker, I think of Paul. And so this letter in Colossians chapter 1 that Paul is writing, the context of this letter, Paul is writing, Colossians is known as a prison epistle, meaning that he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and he wrote it from prison. So when we read these few verses, I want you to think about the context, that Paul is writing 
from prison to the church. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse number 24. And as we walk through this, we're going to just kind of stop and I'll give you a little bit of application or instruction as we walk through these few verses. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in the flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of, so what has he said so far? Paul, again, writing from prison, says, I rejoice. Wow. I'm, I'm not sure if I would be in that same situation. It's similar to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. I've learned wherever I am, whatever state I am, to be content. And he says, I rejoice for the sake of. Why would he rejoice? What is his rejoicing in? He says, for the sake of, and we're in verse 30, 24, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul is saying, although I'm in prison, and again, why was he in prison? He was in prison because he was preaching about Jesus. He was leading people to find and follow Jesus, and because he was preaching the name of Jesus, he got arrested, thrown in jail, but here he says, hey, I rejoice if it's for the sake of his body, the church. Again, as we think about the church, the church in Scripture is known as the body of Christ. Okay, so the universal church, all followers of Jesus, are part of the body of Christ. Hallmark Baptist Church is a local, called-out group of baptized believers who have come together to organize. We are a local body of Christ. And Paul says, for the sake of the church, I would suffer. That's pretty important, isn't it? Not just for the sake of the church, but it's for the sake of the mission of the church. And I wonder this morning, I, what I want you to wrestle with as we walk through this, could you say the same thing that Paul is saying? I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the mission of the church to lead people to find and follow Jesus. I'm willing to take steps that are going to hurt me, that are going to be difficult, that may challenge me, that may get me out of my comfort zone for the sake of his body the church. Now, if I'm going to be completely transparent with you today, I struggle with that at times. Am I willing to suffer for the sake of his body, the church? My assumption this morning is that if I struggle with it at times, you probably do too. And so as we walk through this text this morning, as we think of the context of what Paul is writing, choosing to rejoice for the sake of the church, let's, let's really, let's manage the tension this morning that, is that me? Am I willing to suffer for the sake of his body, the church? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given, for, uh, given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. In other words, God called me to this ministry to suffer, to share the gospel, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. Verse number 26, 
the, mis- the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. This alludes to what we read a few weeks ago. You remember the story of Simeon and Anna? There and in Simeon and Anna, 40 days after Christ is born, Simeon and Anna are both old at this point, and Simeon has been told by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And this 400 years of silence from God is about to come to an end. And Simeon, day after day, went to the temple. Is, it, is this Jesus? Is this Jesus? Finally, he holds Jesus, the Messiah, and he says, my eyes have seen the Messiah. And I can now, he says, die in peace. And so as Simeon is waiting and the Old Testament prophets were looking forward, hoping, expecting, wanting the Messiah to come. And Paul now says, we have been, the mystery has been revealed to us. Jesus has come. Hope has been realized. And so he speaks of that. Verse 27, it says to them, God willingly to make known what are. So the mystery has been revealed. What is the mystery? It says the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Paul is saying to all people, not just to Jews, the mystery has been revealed to the world. And then he says, which is, so he's going to tell us what the mystery is. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see what Paul is saying? I have hope. I can rejoice in prison because I have Christ in me. The hope of glory, the hope of the world, the hope of everyone rests in me. You see, our hope is not found in our circumstances. Our hope is not found in our bank account. Our hope is not found in our kids doing everything we wish they would do. Our hope is not found in our career. Our hope is not found in our job. Our hope is not found in meeting together. Our hope is in who? Say it. Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. And this is why Paul said, because I have Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory, I can suffer for the sake of the church, his body. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? Well, let's continue reading. Verse number 29, it says, him we preach. Who is him that Paul is talking about? You can say it. Who is him Paul is talking about? Jesus. We preach Jesus. Why do, why do we preach Jesus? Because Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It's through him. That's why Paul is saying we preach Jesus. Him only. In Acts, we see that, that they say that there is no other name in heaven by which man must be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. And Paul says, it's him we preach. And then he goes on to say, him we preach, Jesus. And we're going to notice something in this verse of Scripture, verse 28. If you look at it, I'm going to unpack it for you, but we see these two words we've been talking about. Leading people to find evangelism, and follow discipleship. So he says, we preach Jesus, and then he says, warning every man. What is the warning every man must hear? The warning is very simple. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
And Paul is saying, we preach Christ, warning every man that if you die without Christ, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. If you die in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven. And so Paul says, to this end, we preach, we warn evangelism, leading people to find Jesus. How shameful of us to have the answer to all life's problems, the hope of the world, and not share it. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the body, his church, and I'm going to preach, warning every man that if you die without Jesus, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. The responsibility of the church, the mission of the church, preach Christ to every man. He goes on then, and you'll see the next part of this discipleship. It says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is alluding, alluding to the idea of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. Not that we will become perfect, but that we are in a process of becoming more like Christ, complete. And so Paul says, I'm going to lead people to find and follow Jesus. Again, the weight of this seems a little heavier when we realize Paul is writing this letter from prison. It's not just words, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to suffer for Christ. He is literally in prison suffering for Christ. And it didn't stop him from preaching the gospel, did it? In fact, I had a, th a thought this week about Paul being in prison. And what if Paul had never been put in prison? Much of the New Testament may never have been written. This letter we're reading was written from prison. I'm not sure if Paul would ever slow down enough to write the letter if he hadn't been put in prison. You see, I love this statement. Your prison can be productive if you purpose to pursue God's plan. Even in prison, Paul teaches us, lead people to find and follow Jesus. Now look at verse number 29. Verse 29 says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Again, Paul is giving glory to God. It's God working in him, but he is striving. These two words, labor and striving. Okay, these words, labor here is this understanding of working to the point of exhaustion. That Paul is working to the point of exhaustion. Why? To tell people about Jesus. He's, he's striving. The idea of striving, it's really this understanding of, of athletic competition, that he's going to do everything he can to train and to work and to compete so that he can win the competition. He's laboring. He's striving to tell people about Jesus, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And as we think about what Paul is doing, the question that I want you to be challenged with today, could you describe the way you serve Christ as you are laboring and striving to preach Christ to every man 
that they may know how to follow Christ. You know, this week, uh, the last two weeks, I, I had, again, as I said, the opportunity to go to Kenya again. And every time I go overseas to uh, a country that in most every place has less than us, it, it kind of wrecks me a little bit. How many of you have experienced that before? You've been overseas on a, on a trip and you've seen, like, just put your hand up. It's wrecked you. Look around and see all the people that raise your hand. There's a lot of people in this church that have been on a trip like this. And so if you haven't, look around and see someone and ask them about it. But it, it'll, it'll change. It gives you a great perspective, a new perspective. And every time I come back from a trip like this, it, it, it reminds me of, in my own life, how easy it is for me to be casual about my Christianity, to be comfortable with church, and I see a callousness in my life. And as I told you, last Sunday, the church service was a lot different last week than it was this week. They were both great. I got to worship Christ with other believers. I understood a little more about what we sang today than last week. But last week as I uh, showed up to church a little, there was two churches that were meeting together last week. One church was uh, having to walk several miles from where they normally met to come to this church. And the reason they were doing it is because we were having a, a baptism service. And before church service was uh, started, um, like most other cultures, it wasn't going to be on time, um, just the way it is. You know, no one really has a watch. They don't know what time it is. They just show up when they show up. And so I'm sitting outside on this wooden bench with these two uh, little boys, probably about four or five years old, and uh, they don't speak English. I don't speak Swahili, and we just sat there and kind of made up a game. You know, I would make a mouth noise, and they would try to repeat it, and then I would whistle, and they would try to whistle, and they never could figure that out. But we sat there for twenty minutes at least, just entertaining each other. Yes, I am a kid at heart, and it shows sometimes. But as I'm sitting there just kind of hanging out with these two boys, and there was a group of kids a little older just right next to us at a tree, and they were all completely, you know, kind of freaked out of me being there, and they were a little too scared to join our party. They just watched. But I watched um, these kids ride up, maybe teenagers, ride up on a bicycle with yellow buckets hanging off. And it's a normal sight, um, so I didn't think a lot about it, just playing my games with these two kids. And I noticed that these ladies are walking the road like normal with big buckets of water on their head, which is a normal sight. I really didn't think much about it until I realized what was happening. And these kids had ridden their bike from I don't know where, after they had dipped this bucket of water in the river, stream, wherever it was from. These ladies had carried the water up the hill from I don't know where, not to bathe, not to wash their clothes, not to cook. But what were they going to do with this water? They are going to fill up the baptistry. What a humbling experience. And I thought for a moment, what if at Hallmark, we had to fill our baptistry up like that. Who would volunteer? 
Who would carry the water? I don't know how far, half a mile? With the water to fill the baptistry. I'm not sure. I'm thankful we don't have to. Can we say amen to that? But I wonder if, if in our culture, in our context, it's just too easy. There's not much of a sacrifice. We're not suffering. And any hint to that kind of, ooh, I don't know about that. The next two pictures I want to show you is of the pastor, and he's sitting in front of his church, and his name is Isaiah. Um, we went Friday and Saturday to several different church plants, and we drove all over the countryside and come up to Moana Fellowship here. This pastor's name is Isaiah. Isaiah's life looks a lot different than mine, I'm sure. Isaiah's wife died a few years ago. He has five children and he's trying to pastor this church. And the reason it's kind of this makeshift meeting place, this was on a Saturday when we showed up. Isaiah was smiling from ear to ear for us to show up, and that we kind of surrounded the hut full of uh, men and women, and they sang for us. So I don't know what they were singing, but they were worshiping. And then the next picture I want to show you is this is a, a David Hayes. Uh, Isaiah there is on the bicycle. I'm not sure why he was he he wanted to he wanted to show us his bicycle. I don't know how far he rides that back and forth to church. But the guy in the middle that's kind of in the middle of the sign wearing the the khaki shorts and the black top, his name is Nyai, N Y A E. I don't know much about the guy. I don't, didn't know why he was in the picture to be honest with you, but on the drive out of the church, I heard his story. And the, this makeshift church building is on Nyai's property. And just across the dirt road is his house. I didn't go see that, but his house is just across the dirt road. The, the land there is, you know, in his family's name. And so as would be tradition, he got a section, and this person got a, she, a section of it. So a part of his land, he decided he wanted the church on the property. And uh, his family didn't like that idea. And so they're, what we would say, they're, they're taking it to court to try to get rid of this church on the family property. So Nyai told his family, he told the church, he told the MZA who will, you know, override or oversee the decision. He says, you can take, take my home over there, but don't take my church. And, and here's a man who has a lot less than us, willing to say, you can have my house, but don't take my church. And I think of the words of Paul, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. And to this end, I preach Christ to every man. I labor and I strive so that people can find and follow Jesus. And I wondered, church, for us, could we describe our walk with Christ? Could we describe our commitment to the local church, the body of Christ, 
the same words that Paul would use, that I labor to exhaustion, that I strive as to win a competition so that people in my neighborhood, people in my school, people in my family, people in this community could hear the name of Jesus. That's a challenge this morning. Do I strive? Do I labor? I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And I I want you to wrestle with this this morning. How much am I willing to suffer to lead people to find and follow Jesus? And maybe, just maybe, like me, God will reveal to you sometimes your Christian life has become a little casual, comfortable, callous. Oh, that we would have a church filled with people who would say, I can rejoice in my suffering for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. And I preach Christ to every man. To this end, I labor and I strive to lead people to find and follow Jesus. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that has some really powerful words. It simply says, God, if, if more of you means less of me, take everything. For the sake of the gospel, God, I, this world is dying to know Jesus and we are sitting in comfort, being casual and callous. If that's you this morning, if if God has revealed to you that you could not describe your life, your Christian walk as laboring, as striving for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to ask you to talk to God about it today. Maybe you need to walk forward to the altar. Maybe you just need to stay seated at your seat and you just need to spend some time with God and repent of your comfortable Christianity. What could God do? If everyone in the room this morning made a decision, I'm going to labor and I'm going to strive to lead people to find and follow Jesus.